All right, time for Baldry's Beat. Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News, Keith Baldry. Top of the morning to you. Yeah, happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy. <laughs> Is that the best Irish accent you got? <laughs> I got various ones, but okay. that'll do for now. That'll do. That'll do fine. Um, yeah, St. Patrick's Day. So, just remind people about the uh, the, rules. The, the early cutoff for liquor sales tonight. Yeah, not that many people are going to pubs in huge numbers, anyways. But uh, just a reminder: public health orders served notice last Thursday. Uh, no alcohol sales anywhere past eight o'clock tonight uh, until nine a.m. tomorrow. For those who buy alcohol, right? So you won't be having. Will you be having any green beer? No green beer for today? me. You I'm don't? not. I'm not a big uh, St. Patty's uh, Day uh, celebrant. It's never been a, a big thing for me. But again, the, um, green, the green beer I think is more of a, a North American uh, thing than I don't think they drink green beer in Ireland. I think if you serve green beer in Ireland, you get tossed out the door. Right. No, <laughs> this is forget it. No, it's uh, it's uh, yeah. I think it's a Canadian custom uh, more than anything. But again. Uh, the rules are everything's shutting down eight o'clock tonight. In fact, uh, I think some stores are closing even earlier than that. Right. So eight o'clock tonight. So if you are going to have a drink, if you are planning to go, you better start early. Well, alcohol okay. is closed at eight. I think uh, the if you're in a pub or a restaurant, you can still, I think, be there till ten ten p.m. or you whatever. You can still you get a pint after work. But yeah, but you, you cannot buy alcohol after eight o'clock tonight. Okay. We talked earlier on the show today about the possibility of uh, pharmacies in British Columbia assisting in the vaccine rollout. Mm -hmm. Lots of other provinces are doing that. I, I find it a bit unusual that BC pharmacies are not part of the plan, mm -hmm. at least for now. It looks like there's some indication they're going to be in there very soon. They will. But I spoke to Chris Chu this morning. He's the head of pharmacies in London Drugs, and here's what he said to me this morning. We do see pharmacy as an important part in helping with the rollout of the vaccine and ensuring that we can get it out quickly to all corners of the province. I agree with that. Um, he actually has been actually in contact with us and our association. Um, he does actually find that uh, we are we will be useful as seen in the flu vaccine rollout and uh, right. we're, we're ready and able to support. We've been working collaboratively with them. In right. fact, right now, the various health authorities have contacted us to actually send our pharmacists over. So we actually have been injecting in their various um, hubs and mass vaccination clinics. Okay, speaking there about Health Minister Adrian Dix saying that Dix has been in touch with their association, and yeah. Dix kind of hinted yesterday that, wait for it, there's an announcement coming on this. Yeah, even p potentially this week. Uh, but again, pharmacists, I talked to Dix about this more than a month ago, and yeah. pharmacists have always been part of the plan, but not really articulated when they would participate. They are working in the, as uh, Chris mentioned, they are working in the clinics. Yeah. Um, but the question is, what about their own individual pharmacies? I know the concern was early that Pfizer was difficult to store, needed very cold refrigeration, but AstraZeneca less so, and Johnson & Johnson, which is just basically put it in the fridge. So pharmacists very much, I think, are going to be part of the, the vaccination plan, just not at the very beginning. But again, we, we're waiting for details exactly when they when they opt in. Well, especially when we have such massive numbers be rolling out here in the next few weeks. Well, that's the weeks. thing. People, people really, it's unfathomable for most people. We're not talking about what we're doing right now. We, we vaccinated 15,000 people yesterday. That's nothing compared to what's about to happen in what April. What will it be at May. its peak? How many per day? Probably around 40,000, 42,000 wow. people wow. a day. Uh, and that will by necessity will involve pharmacists. They're going to yeah. be very much part of this. Okay, I suspect we may hear an announcement from this from Dix maybe tomorrow or Friday. Well, we're expecting from Dix and Dr. Henry tomorrow or um, or Friday, but likely tomorrow, about the AstraZeneca plan. So yeah, we've got 68,000 right. doses arrived last week. Uh, there's an expiry early expiry date of about 40,000 of those doses, so they have to be in the arms pretty quickly. We get another 136,000 doses in April. This is separate than the Pfizer and Moderna. Pfizer and Moderna is going to be on the age-based rollout. Right now, that's, that's going to the arms. That, well, 
for seniors now. It's going to be for juniors uh, eventually. I mean, yeah. it's, it's going to be uh, where we really hit the population bulge is in the 70 to 79 crowd, the 60 to 69, the 50 to 59. Those are, we're talking well more than a million people there, and they're going to be vaccinated relatively quickly. But that's with Pfizer and Moderna. The 136,000 of AstraZeneca in late April will be distributed, will be allocated according to people and don't use the word essential because that's not what's being described here. It's people in certain occupations and livelihoods where they're either uh, risk being exposed to the virus in greatest numbers or and they're more vulnerable. So we're talking um, more food processing plants, potentially grocery ch- uh, chain people, potentially teachers, uh, potentially a number of other uh, workers in uh, in various occupations where the transmission risk is greater. Okay, the teachers continuing to make the case that they want to move up in line and get priority access to the mm-hmm. AstraZeneca vaccine. And on yesterday's show, I spoke to Terry Mooring, the president of the BC Teachers Federation, about their campaign to get access to the vaccine. Here's what she had to say. It's disheartening to know that our elementary school colleagues just are not as safe. And so there's still a long way to go in terms of the preventative measures about incidents of COVID in elementary schools where there's no mandatory mask order. She, when, when she was on the show yesterday, she had some really interesting statistics about the number of elementary school mm-hmm. teachers who have got COVID at work and have qualified for WorkSafe BC. So they've qualified for workers' compensation because they got COVID at mm-hmm. work. And they say there's more elementary school teachers getting WorkSafe than, uh, than other schools. And I guess she's pointing at the mask mandate, but also using that to bolster the argument, oh, give us the vaccine. Well, and there's other occupations that can make an even stronger case that that the transmission in their work sites is greater than in an elementary school uh, classroom. So, like, but, a, like, a, what, like a chicken plant. Yeah, food processing plants are notorious for this. Uh, right. But, you know, Terry Warren's making her case, and, uh, you know, they are in a, a certain category. Uh, but, again, uh, it's not just teachers in schools. If you're going to vaccinate teachers in a school, I think you pretty well have to vaccinate the, K to the support staff, the QP support staff, and the administration workers. So everybody in that school. So we're not talking – when we're talking about the broader number – I'm told it's about 100,000 people in the education sector. So do you take 100,000 of those 136,000 doses of AstraZeneca and put it into into the K-12 to system? Maybe you do. And maybe that's what we're going to hear this week. The other thing, and I asked Adrian Dix about this yesterday. Uh, we, we, you know, I track the, the cases every day. 80 to 85% of the cases every single day are in Fraser or Vancouver Coastal Health. So the numbers outside of Metro are greatly diminished compared to what's going on in Vancouver Coastal. So I asked Minister Dix, okay, so do you add a geographical um, uh, concern here when you determine how you distribute the AstraZeneca? Do you say, okay, if you're a teacher or a food processor or just a worker in a various occupation in Metro, do you treat them differently than you do someone oh. in, in another small town where there's not a lot of COVID-19. Oh, you mean like if you're a teacher in Surrey, maybe you would get the shot, but if you're a teacher in Cranbrook, maybe you got to wait. Well, you know, we're, act, we're, we're vaccinating the entire town of Prince Rupert because there's a... There was a huge a, outbreak a, there. The actual numbers in Surrey on a per capita basis are greater in Surrey than there are in, in Prince Rupert. Now, I don't think it's feasible to vaccinate every single person in Surrey. We just don't have the numbers of vaccines. But do you make the argument, or will public health make the argument, that in certain occupations, uh, Surrey, Tri-Cities, and Abbotsford is where the virus is really, really surging right now. Do you treat them differently than you do people in, you know, Cranbrook or, or Dawson Creek or whatever? 
Okay, let's hit a couple of national topics here, and then we'll take a break and open the phone lines like we do every day. So I thought it was interesting to listen to the Kielbergers, Mark and Craig Kielberger, the founders of the We Charity, in testimony in front of the House of Commons Ethics Committee this week. Now, this got really, really testy because the Kielbergers were getting grilled there, so to speak, uh, by the by the uh, I saw what you did there by That's the opposition. Good. Yeah, did you get that? Okay, yeah. and they turned they tried to turn it around. They tried to turn the tables and say, look. This scandal, this We Charity scandal, where they got this cushy contract to run a billion-dollar program for the government, and they've got these ties to the Trudeau family, they're saying, like, look, we know this this looks kind of bad, but this is not our fault. This is the government gave Mm -hmm. us this contract, and we were going to do, in good faith, try to complete the contract. You have destroyed a charity that was doing good work for children. That was basically the argument that the Kielbergers had in this committee. Let's have a little listen to this, Keith, and get your thoughts. This is uh, Mark Kielberger uh, testifying this week. We didn't advise the Prime Minister and Mr. Bono not to recuse themselves. We never prorogued Parliament. We're not involved in the decision to filibuster the committee this fall. This is a political scandal for the government, not We Charity. Yeah, okay. So he's saying, like, this is a government scandal. It's not a We Charity scandal, but well, their, their, their charity has been pretty much destroyed. I think you can throw some blame on both sides here. Uh, yeah. The Trudeau government is not absolved of any responsibility here. They've clearly drop the ball and mishandle this. But the we, the we Chair, it's interesting how little sympathy the Kielbergs seem to be generating out there. Uh, and again, I think, well, lo- none, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of people are saying a pox on both your houses. It was entertaining to watch Pierre Poliev. Um, it was like a Law and Order episode. The conservative uh, pit yeah, bull going after yeah, him. Yeah, going after him, saying, you know, you're does in this a lot hurt of trouble. Tr- does this hurt Trudeau, though? I mean, especially nah. when we get in a potential election year? I don't think so. I think this is still an abstract. I mean, it has hurt people. them, but has it? does it hurt him enough to lose power? No, I don't think so. I yeah. mean, I mean, Aaron O'Toole uh, and the conservatives are in a tough spot, and we yeah. talked about this before. They, they, they've, uh, you know, he's he's trying to be all things to all conservatives, and that's a very hard road to hoe. Okay, speaking of O'Toole, the conservative leader, here he is talking about Canada's soaring deficits. Have a listen. It's been 726 days since Canada had a budget. The Trudeau Liberals have already blown our debt past a trillion dollars. Now they're headed to 1.83 trillion a 57% increase to the debt ceiling. That's what they're asking for. And at the same time, they are not telling us what their planned spending is. It's the height of recklessness. It's going to burden our kids. Okay, well, I think he raises some good points, but is he connecting with the public, though? The public can't tell the difference between a billion dollars and a trillion dollars. I mean, these are numbers that are unfathomable to people. But, I mean, O'Toole is right. I mean, the, the, the deficit and the debt are just sky high, but they have been for some time. And I think until we're out of this pandemic, people aren't paying attention to budgets. All right, Keith Baldry is my guest, and the phone lines are open, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Barb in North Van. Hi, Barb. Good morning. I just want to let you and Keith and everybody know I had my vaccination yesterday at Lloyd Center. My appointment was 10-10. I was in and out in less than 45 minutes, and it was a, a great experience and the people were so pleasant and nice. I just whizzed right through. Great to hear. Great to hear. Yeah. Very happy for you, Barb. Thank you for sharing that. We've been uh, hearing that from a lot of people. It's a, it's a very it's a very positive experience. And I think the the rollout on that Monday. Remember, we predicted that that was going to be forgotten as more and more people got uh, uh, vaccinated. So you know, we're, we did have an earlier caller from a woman who, who was also very pleased to get the vaccine, but she said she did have a two hour wait in line. Yeah, she, they, she it's going to vary from center to center, no question. Uh, some places are going to be running much smoother than. Others talk to a relative in Ontario, a doctor who's administering uh, the vaccine. 
vaccine and saying that in some places in Ontario where, the, where she is, uh, there's a, just a lot of paperwork to fill out. And she's waiting yeah. for patients rather than uh, having a, a line move very briskly. So it's going to vary from place to place. Let's go to Jason on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Jason. Hey, I, I got two uh, two points. And the first one on the vaccine is, is why are we not doing this 24 hours a day? We have BC Place, run them through. Like it just, uh, you know, so we sit there and say, well, Adrian Dix is, is, is now they're figuring out how to do stuff. Well, sorry, we knew this vaccine was coming in September. Like mm -hmm. this, this isn't new. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just baffled by it. And, and now I'm, I'm starting to not believe that it's really that big of a deal. Because if you're not vaccinating 24 hours a day to tell me that this is a really big deal, we're only vaccinating from nine to five and we're not letting pharmacists do it and we're not training other people to do it. Well, now I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I get it. You guys aren't that panicked about it. Neither am I. Hmm. Okay, thanks for that. Well, this, this is an evolving situation. First of all, in terms of the vaccines, we actually don't, it's a sort of a very mystery when the vaccines arrive. I mean, we're supposed to get the vaccines at a certain date, and often they don't arrive. So AstraZeneca unexpectedly arrived last week, 68,000 doses. Yeah. The authorities weren't expecting that for an, at least a month, and suddenly it's dumped on us. Well, and, you, and so you scramble to get that out the door. Pfizer is arriving much more uh, regularly, but Moderna only shows up every three weeks. AstraZeneca is supposed to come in April, but there's no guarantee. It could arrive tomorrow. So this is part of the challenges here is to get fashion the rollout to the vaccines as they arrive. In terms of 24-7, I don't think that's necessarily uh, practical uh, or, or realistic. But, again, this is an evolving situation. We could get to a situation where clinics are open 12 hours a day. Well, you know, if, if you look at it in terms of sort of delivery logistics, I guess it would be known as kind of a just-in-time delivery mm -hmm. model where the yeah. vaccine comes in. It's not like they're sitting on a massive warehouse just... Um, with a yep. mountain of vaccine right now, it comes in, that goes out. And there's storage issues. Uh, the There is an expiry date on these yeah. things, so they have to be administered fairly quickly. But again, this is such a massive scheme. Um, it was interesting. I asked Adrian Dix about BC Place at the beginning, yeah. and they, they ruled that out. But we are using hockey arenas around the province. We're using yeah. community centers. There's very large venues being used for immunizations. Let's go to John on the line in Langley. Hey, John. Hey, guys. Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm in the construction trade. I'm a sales rep, and I went to uh, Monday morning. I went to a, and sorry, a large office that I deal with on a regular basis. And there's 200 people standing outside, tent set up, porta potties. So they're getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. um, what? Yeah, so why? it was in like a private business, you mean? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So there are certain. Uh, you mentioned 200 people. So there are uh, situations in crowded places. Work sites that are now starting to be vaccinated. We had a, a glass making place in Langley with, with hundreds of employees there. There was 44 people tested positive, so the vaccinations went in there. Uh, there's been some some farms, some food processing plants. Uh, so again, it's not just you know healthcare workers getting vaccinated. Do this, they disclose that? Like if they go in and say we're vaccinating everybody, vaccinating everyone in this in this office building, mm -hmm. does the government disclose that? Do they tell you that's going Well, on? the health authorities uh, often uh, post that on their websites. We yeah. found out about the glass place. Fraser Health took their time getting back to us. But that's it. Came, it's like the media found out to, about it. Yeah. Well, the, and the other one we just noticed was a mushroom farm was posted. And we said, oh, okay, there's there's that. So uh, you're going to see more and more work sites uh, okay. where the workers get vaccinated. Squeeze in one more. Brent in Vancouver. you got to go quick. Yeah, um, uh, City Council Vancouver uh, voted unanimously uh, to ask the health minister, I guess, and, and uh, Bonnie, 
Um, when is the timetable coming uh, for uh, letting us know about uh, opening up um, uh, the arts community uh, like uh, BC? Uh, okay, thank, okay, thank, uh, thanks, plays, thank, um, thank you for that. Uh, thanks. Yeah, we're, thanks. St- we're still away, f- away from that. Dr. Henry talked about that a couple, several times at briefings. We're still not at the point where we're going to open up the arts sector, but she wants to open up, but I still think we're looking at May or June. Thanks.